mind and they prayed to God, get us out of here, get us out of here. And Moses comes and leads them up out of Egypt. And like 15 minutes later, what are they doing? Oh, I want to go back to Egypt. Back there we had leeks and onions and cucumbers. But it was so much better back in Egypt. And that's what some of these Jewish Christians apparently were thinking. I want to go back. I want to go back. But now we also know that sometimes new and improved is better. I don't know about some of y'all, but I don't want to go back to the days without air conditioning. I don't want to go back to the days of, you know, washing our clothes by hand and wringing them out and hanging them out to dry. New and improved is better for some things. And what the writer of Hebrews has been leading up to and really gets into in chapters 7 through the first part of chapter 10 is what you have in Christ is better by far, is superior, is greater than what you had under the old law, under the Old Testament. And so that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. Now, we're not going to read all of that. We don't have time to read three and a half chapters. So go home and read it. We're going to summarize this morning a little bit. And the first thing that the writer reminds them is that Jesus is the better high priest. You know, we've already looked at that in chapters 2 and chapter 4. Remember where he talks about because Jesus became like us, he became our great high priest well here what he is saying is you know why would you go back to the days of having the human high priest that you're all used to that you remember why would you do that because jesus is a much better high priest than anything you had in the past he's better because jesus provides perfection look at chapter 7 and verse 11 if perfection could have been attained through the levitical priesthood For on the base of it, the law was given to the people. Why was there still need for another priest to come? One in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron. Now, we don't have time this morning to talk about Melchizedek. But the idea is, is Melchizedek was not a priest like the other priests. In fact, he was a priest before there were priests. And what he's saying is, is Jesus is coming along and he is different. Because he can provide perfection. Now all of these points we're going to make this morning kind of run together a little bit and overlap. But the whole point was what the priest did under the old law in the Old Testament could not provide perfection. Could not provide satisfaction. Could not provide fulfillment when it came to the payment for sin. All the high priest could do back in those days was offer some blood of some animals that, and remember we talked about this, the old timey preachers would say, they would just kind of roll the sins along to the next year. And that's kind of all that that did, the old law. And that's all the high priest could do. And before he could go in to offer sacrifices for the people, he had to offer sacrifices for himself. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, why would you go back to inferior priests? 
When what we have in Jesus Christ is the great high priest. Because he provided satisfaction. He provided fulfillment. He provided perfection. He fulfills the relationship with God. Through Jesus as our high priest, we can go directly to the Father anytime, in any place. You remember that scene on the Day of Atonement? We've talked about this before. That, that there was a, you know, we understand that God's everywhere and always has been everywhere. And we understand that even under the old law, people could pray to God. But there was this whole ceremony. That the people went through on the day of atonement. And you remember that in the tabernacle and the temple both. That they were divided into two places. There was a holy place. That had the showbread and the candlesticks. And you know those kinds of things. And then there was the most holy place. And in it was the ark of the covenant. And on top of the ark of the covenant. Were these two uh Images of these angels and their wings came over and they touched one another. And that was called the mercy seat. And that actually was essentially the place of God. Where God resided. And the whole point of the day of atonement was. That there had to be all this blood and guts being offered. The priest had to offer blood from animals and sprinkle himself and sprinkle all the utensils in the temple and the tabernacle in order to purify them. And then all these animals were sacrificed and blood was sprinkled everywhere in order to purify the people. And then once a year, only the high priest could enter the most holy place. Where God himself resided. Wow. And we think to ourselves, well, why did God want them to do that? Why did, why did God want them to, to go through that whole ceremony? Even though we know God's everywhere. And, but the, God wanted them to go through this for a purpose. And I think it was to remind them. That sin separates us from God. And that even under the old law, there was no permanent solution to sin. And that only one time a year, and only one person, after going through all this stuff with the blood everywhere, could enter the presence of God. The writer of Hebrews reminds us that because we have a great high priest, we can all draw near to God. Because we don't have to rely on somebody else and somebody else's sacrifice. Secondly, we see that Jesus was the priest of a better covenant, a new and a greater covenant. You remember that after the Revolutionary War, there were these 13 colonies. And they were kind of at a loss. Well, what do we do now? <laughs> we, 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 we beat up on England. We got our independence. But now what? What are we? 
You know, essentially we're 13 independent states that really don't want to have a whole lot to do with each other, except when it comes to, you know, getting out of beating England off and making sure they don't come back. And so they drew up what was called the Articles of Confederation. Oh, we'll make it, we'll do this. We'll draw up these Articles of Confederation. Well, it wasn't very long. And it became obvious that the Articles of Confederation weren't going to cut it. Really didn't provide for any of the needs that a, a fledgling country really needed. And so eventually we have the Constitution, Constitution Convention and we come up with the Constitution. After World War I, you remember, Woodrow Wilson had this dream. That there would be this this worldwide organization. And that through this worldwide organization, peace would be able to reign throughout the world. And so they came up with the League of Nations. Which became a total disaster. One reason is, is because the United States never joined, never ratified it. But that's beside the point. But it didn't work because we know that just a few, not very many years later, we're involved in World War II. But then after World War II, I said, you know what? The League of Nations was, it, it, it had some good things, but let's see if we can refine it and make it better. Now, depending on your point of view, yay or nay, but we're not doing politics this morning. So we come up with the United Nations. Now some people view the old covenant and the new covenant in a similar way. That the the articles of confederations weren't good enough, so we make a constitution. The League of Nations wasn't good enough, so we come up with the United Nations. The Old Testament, the Old Covenant wasn't good enough. It was flawed. It was weak. And so God came up with a new covenant. Wrong, wrong, wrong. God knew exactly what he was doing. I think no better place in all of the Bible than here in Hebrews chapter 7 through the first part of chapter 10. Do we really see the fact that God intended for the old law to do exactly what it did? And that was to show the need for Jesus Christ. The old law was never intended to provide sufficient sacrifice for sin. The old law was never intended to take away the sins of the world. The old law was never intended to be the in and of itself. The old law was intended to prepare the people for what was really needed for Jesus Christ and the new covenant. You see, we remember all the way back in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, right after man falls... And God is placing punishment on man and woman and the serpent. And remember we have that first hint of Jesus Christ. And he says to the serpent, there will be enmity between you and the woman and the woman's seed. 
And you will strike his heel, but he will crush your head. That's pointing to Jesus. All the Old Testament prophecies are pointing to Jesus. God didn't come up with a plan B all of a sudden. Jesus Christ was God's plan A from the beginning. Paul tells us in in Ephesians and Colossians, from the beginning of the world, from creation, before creation, before the foundation of the world, God had a plan to save us in Christ Jesus. And he used the old law to show the people why Jesus was needed. The old law was not weak because the law was weak. The old law was weak because people are weak. There is absolutely nothing wrong with the old law. Provided you can keep it perfectly. If you could never sin, the old law was just for you. It was perfect. I think that's part of what it talks about when Jesus says, I've not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. I've come to show you that it could have been done. We talked about this when we were talking about chapter 2 and 4, that he was tempted just like you and I. Jesus came along and he's the very one who proved there was nothing wrong with the old law. You just had to keep it perfectly. And only he did that. The old covenant, the old law was weak because of man and because of sin. The new law, the new covenant is made powerful because of Christ. It became, we've gone from a, 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 a covenant of law to a covenant of grace. Wow. I like that. Don't you? I like that. Because as hard as I try, I make mistakes. I stumble. And if we had to, under the old law, the only way we could be saved is to be perfect ourselves. Then we really might as well just give up and quit. And that's kind of what the writer of Hebrews is hinting at to these people. Why on earth would you go back to a way, basically, that you cannot be saved? When Jesus Christ has brought a new covenant, a better way, a way of grace. Now, the argument against that is, is that, you know, because we are under grace, we don't have to worry so much about law. We don't have to worry so much about doing right. We don't have to worry so much about keeping the commandments. That's not what he's saying. If I were to ask you, would you rather live under, which would be easier to live under? Forget the the punishment and the consequences. Which would be easier to live under, a, 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 a system of law or a system of grace? I would submit that it's easier to live under a system of law. Because right and wrong is defined in black and white. Thou shalt not. 
commit murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. I like that. That suits me. Right? Wrong? Black? White? No gray middle ground. But Jesus comes along, especially in the Sermon on the Mount, and says that's not what it's all about. It's not enough to just say I didn't kill nobody. Pardon the grammar. You shouldn't hate anybody. You shouldn't speak badly towards somebody. You should love your enemy. It's not enough to just say, I didn't sleep with anybody. It's not my wife. You shouldn't even have thoughts like that. I've used it a hundred times. It's not enough to say, I didn't punch Chuck in the nose. You shouldn't even want to punch Chuck in the nose. You see, living by grace is actually way more challenging than living by law. Because God expects more of us. Because of the grace that has been provided provided to us. The old law, the old covenant centered on the outward. The new covenant centers on the inward. The old covenant had to do with the knowledge that was through the priest. The new covenant has to do with knowledge that is personal. Thirdly, Jesus is the better sacrifice. Verse nine, chapter 9, verse 14, it says, How much more than will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences for the acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. Jesus provided his own sacrifice. You see, that's what the writer is saying. Under the old law, the priest had to provide a sacrifice for himself and then for all the people. I don't think we truly understand or have any concept of what the, the real sacrificial system was like for the Jews. The priests were more butchers than they were priests. They were sacrificing animals all day long. All year long. The temple courtyard, the first courtyard, had to be just a bloody mess. All that blood everywhere. And you're, some of you are going, okay, that's enough of the blood thing. But you get what I'm saying? Over and over and over again. Daily, daily, daily. Yearly, yearly, yearly. But Jesus sacrificed, or he was able to sacrifice. He was his own sacrifice. And because he was perfect, he had to make no atonement for his own sin. He could make atonement for our sin. He was the perfect sacrifice. He was the forgiving 
sacrifice. He was a transformative sacrifice. And as he talks about, especially in chapter 10, he was a one-time sacrifice. You know, there are people, even in our world today, who, who kind of are like these people in Hebrews. They want the, the Christianity and what Jesus, but they also want to go back and, and, and hang on to things from the old law. Now, you know me, and you know that I am a ritualistic, tradition kind of person. I like that kind of stuff, you know? Uh, I guess that's why, you know, I kind of like the military or whatever. Uh, that's why I, I like the, the, the monarchy in England. I like all the pomp and the circumstance that goes through that and, and you know, everything. And, and, and I like, you know, there are things that I like because it's tradition and it got, I like that. And I could see if I was one of these people to whom the writer is writing. I could see myself saying, you know, I like the priest all in his, you know, priestly garbs and, and, and all of that. And, and I like the, the tradition of the, the sacrifices and all of these kinds of things. And I like the ceremonial washing of the hands. And I, I like all that. I like all that kind of stuff. I think I'll just go back to that. But the problem is, if you're going to go back to that, you got to go back to all of it. You can't pick and choose. If you're going to go back to that, then you're also going to go back to sacrifices that never fully take away sin. But Jesus was the perfect sacrifice, the better sacrifice. The superior sacrifice. And when we think of him on the cross. And we think of the blood that was shed. Remember when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper with his disciples. He says this is thy blood of a new covenant. Uh, You can stamp it. You can sign it. You can have it notarized. You can do whatever with it. But this covenant is sealed in my blood. And my blood. Is greater, superior, better than all the blood of the bulls and goats and rams and everything that have gone on and gone before for thousands of years. Now, none of us are really going to be tempted to go back to the Old Testament high priesthood and the sacrifice of animals. But going back to the world, is just as dumb. Because the world provides nothing that is lasting or real or permanent or that has hope attached to it. So we encourage each other daily and we encourage one another because we have it so much better because we have Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning, there's some way we can help or encourage you. We invite you to come now as we stand and as we sing. We hope by listening to this lesson, you have found a better understanding of the Bible. 
and through that better understanding, find a closer relationship with God and His Son, Jesus Christ, our living Savior. If you have any questions or desire more information, please feel free to contact us here at the Dangerfield, Texas Church of Christ. You can find us at dfield.org. That's D-F-I-E-L-D-C-O-C dot O-R-G. Or you can email at dfieldcoc779 at aol.com. Or you can call us at 903-645-2896. If you are local to the Dangerfield area, we would love an opportunity to meet you and encourage you in person at 818 West W.M. Watson Boulevard, Dangerfield, Texas, 75638. Our meeting times are Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. for Bible class and 10.30 a.m. for worship service, Sunday evening at 6 p.m. for worship service, and Wednesday evening at 6.30 p.m. for our midweek Bible class. Grace and peace be with you always.